Dee as he comes to um, just to speak. So, yeah, Father, we just thank you for, for James. We thank you for this man, Lord. We thank you for his heart, for his, his desire to hear from you, God, first and foremost. God, to be an oracle, to be a vessel, to be a prophetic voice in this room, God, for you to ultimately get um, your reward, Jesus, for what you, what you paid and what you died for, that your kingdom would come and be in this room. So, Father, we just pray as James speaks, Holy Spirit, come and anoint them, fill them afresh, give them an ease with his words, his clarity of mind, God, but also that he can follow your leading and that, God, that he gets to be himself this morning. Father, we just pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us bigger ears, God, than ever we have. And God, that anything, just a wee word that would speak into our heart, we just pray right now, we would open the doors of our heart to your truth, to come like a double-edged sword and, and correct and rebuke, but also to encourage and edify. So Father, we come to hear you ultimately, that you would come and speak in our hearts and that we would ultimately grow close to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Thomas. Um, Thomas is glad he's got a break. I don't know if I am, because <laughs> that means I'm up here. But it's good. Uh, so morning, um, probably as a lot of you um, already know, um, we've been looking at our sermon series for January. It's called um, New Beginnings. And um, we've looked at some aspects of this, I suppose, really over the last um, few weeks in, in the month of January. And I don't know how you're feeling um, at the start of the year. Um, I'm not even sure if I can really still call it the start of the year now. We're getting near the end of, near the end, near the end of January. I wonder if you got that stage yet where you're looking up like holidays for the summer. Or maybe some of you already have those booked. I know for me, uh, Friday night, I was sitting on the sofa quite late on. And about 11 o'clock, and I find myself just instinctively Googling holidays for the spring to summertime. I think we sort of reached that stage for me, and for me it's never good, because it normally means we're going to spend some money. But, <laughs> but I think a lot of, the, lot of us at this time, um, we're starting to think ahead and um, set plans for the year ahead and set things in place that I suppose we can look forward to. Um, and in a way, I think that's um, a, really, a really healthy thing to do. And as you know, for the people that were here last week, um, John was with us sharing some vision for the future of Journey um, here and some plans for the year ahead. And so hopefully some of what I'm going to say um, this morning um, will tie into a bit about what he was talking about last week as well. So as I said earlier, our sermon series for January is called New Beginnings. And in a way, it ties in well with where we're at at a church at the moment um, as we're looking to the future and uh, the new beginnings and, and a new location in Downpatrick. Though you say, as I said, almost feel at this stage closer to the end of January, all the new years, new beginnings, things for me starting to like wear a wee bit thin for me, but I think that's me probably just wanting to like rush on ahead. So yeah, I want to talk about something um, I've had in the back of my mind for a while. And something, um, and sometimes just when I sense God speaking or um, he highlights something from maybe a book I've read or in the Bible, I have a tendency just to write it down in like the notes section of my phone. And it's kind of my like go-to thing. It's nearly like a little like mini journal I've got going in there. And I encourage you to do that. Um, you know, if something grabs your attention um, in the moment, um, just write it down because if you're anything like me, a couple of minutes later, you've probably completely forgotten about it and you're like, what was that thing? That sounded good and then it's gone. So what I'm going to talk about this morning is something um, that I seem to just come, keep coming back to. It's a bit of a strange thing. I don't know if anyone's talked about it much before. I want to talk about logic and I've entitled this message, um, Logic, Friend or Foe. And really, I want to talk about something I'm sure we've all experienced to one degree or another. 
this reality that our ways and God's ways are often so different and really the struggle this causes for so many of us in our day-to-day lives. So I want to really base what we're talking on this morning in um, Judges 7 and it's the story of um, Gideon's army and I'm sure um, a lot of you are very um, familiar with it. So I'll quickly just set some context before we jump into that passage and where this really fits in the whole like Old Testament story and with the story of the children of Israel. And so I have just a few thoughts um, then at the end as well, just some practical things, how we can apply some of this from Gideon's life to our day-to-day lives and hopefully as well to us as a church as we move forward um, into this next season. So I said the main part of this story we're going to be reading about is found in Judges 7. But there's some background leading up to this point. I kind of felt if we just read it, it wouldn't really make a lot of sense. So it's found the background of that in Judges 6. And it's just before where we're going to read. And we'll probably maybe refer back to it as we go on through. So yeah, just a very quick bit of background leading up um, to the passage we're going to be reading. So really there's this group of people called the Midianites who oppressed Israel really for seven long years. Um, at this point, the Israelites uh, were nearly starving to death, while the Midianites destroyed their fields and stole their crops. And really, the situation grew so grim that the Israelites hid themselves in caves and concealed their food and their supplies in the middle of this. I say, in the middle of this nasty situation, Gideon, this guy we're going to be talking about, had an encounter with an angel who declared, "The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor." And really, valor is basically just a fancy word that means bravery um, or courage. And weirdly after that angel visitation, Gideon seems fairly unimpressed and goes on to interrogate the angel further. But this part really ends with the angel commissioning Gideon to defeat Midian and free God's people. So basically at this point then, Gideon gathers an army of 32,000 men uh, to go out and defeat the Midianite army. And we'll pick up a story really at this point. I say we're in verse 2 um, of chapter 7. If you want to follow it along, I think it's up on the screen. Or if you want to read in your Bible, that's even better. So I say it's, chapters, it's Judges chapter 7. And I say we're starting in verse 2. <clears throat> and the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people turned, and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them to the water, and I I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, and the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. 
Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. And yeah, this story of Gideon um, is one of my actual favorites. Um, sometimes I like to put myself in the shoes of the people in the Bible. And I encourage you to do that as you read. Sometimes it's a really good way to imagine what it would be like for the different characters. And I like to then maybe like reread it and how it would be from a different person's um, point of view. And I suppose as we set that, as we just at the outset, you know, how would you feel or how would I feel if you were in Gideon's shoes, leading 300 men against an army over 400 times the size of yours? And it said, God had spoken to Gideon in chapter 6 before where we read and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. You shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. And these words spoken to Gideon by an angel sent from God were meant to be encouraging. But we see Gideon's first thought seems to have been, why me? Isn't there someone stronger or braver who can do it? And how often do we do that? You know, when God speaks, it doesn't always make sense. And how we often feel overwhelmed or unequipped to do what he's asked us to do. I think this reaction comes um, nearly naturally to so many of us. But you know, there's truth in God's word that comes against these thoughts and overrules these thoughts. In Philippians 4:13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's like a super famous verse. And one of my all-time favorite verses is found in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. And it says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I love that there to proclaim that truth over things um, that comes against, as Thomas mentioned earlier, our feelings and how we think in those situations. I say when we have these feelings of being overwhelmed or unequipped, there's always truth and promises from God that speaks truth and life into these situations. And there's a truth here, I know we're really early on, we're getting into this already, but I believe there's a truth in this that so many of us miss. You know, we all have a part to play. You know, every single person in this room. I kind of encourage you, if you think, if you don't think you have a part to play in the kingdom of God, you've believed a lie. God has specific plans and purposes for you and we're all part of what he's doing here in our own lives and as a church collectively. And Gideon was about to experience this firsthand in his life, what it means to trust God when logic says you're mad. So as it said briefly above, at this point in the story of the children of Israel, they'd really turned away from God. And because of this, um, God had allowed the Midianites to terrorize Israel for seven years, destroying their land and livestock. Judges 7, 12 says the Midianites were as numerous as locusts and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And further on in chapter 8, um, there we're told that the Midianite army was 135,000 strong. You, in their moment of need, Israel cried out to God and in his mercy, God stepped in and decided that Gideon would lead the fearful Israelites to victory. And when he heard this, Gideon must have thought, don't you know how weak and afraid I am? And of course God knew this, but he chose Gideon anyway. And here's the amazing truth in this part. You know, God knows our personalities. Um, he knows our weaknesses and our tendencies towards sin. But it's not a mistake that he's chosen us. 
you know, if you doubt that, actually, I'd encourage you to go away. Or if you doubt that God will use you, I'd encourage you to go away and uh, read the story of Moses. It's really fascinating and something he questioned so many times. And it says in Matthew 23, verse 11 and 12, it says, But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and who and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, those who see themselves as the greatest, the strongest, the most wise will have a hard time hearing God's voice above their own thoughts and opinions of themselves. But those, but those who come with an open and receptive heart will be able to become God's men of valor, ready to hear his voice and to fight for him. And away in the story, we see Gideon was a very um, uncertain leader. You know, Gideon took on the role um, reluctantly. He asked God for a sign time and time again. You know, first the, you'll read it in chapter 6. First the angel summoned fire to consume the food Gideon had brought. And afterwards Gideon put a fleece of wool on two consecutive nights. And so you can read that back in chapter 6. First he asked for the fleece to be wet and the ground to be dry. Then for the fleece to be dry and the ground to be wet. And you think at this point, was God like discouraged by Gideon asking for these signs? Did God begin to reconsider his pick in Gideon? No, not at all. You know, all these signs and wonders that occurred gave Gideon the strength and the faith he needed. You know, God refused to give up on Gideon, even when Gideon had given up on himself. And fast forward a short time later, you know, this is where we read where we read from above. Gideon stands at the head of an Israelite force of 32,000 warriors. Now this, in a way, is a mighty army and the best fighters from the Israelites. And reason would say, you they maybe stand a chance against the Midianite army. But then comes a new order from God. He says to Gideon, everyone who is afraid should go home. You know, God knew that Israel would claim the glory of victory, celebrating its own strength instead of rightfully honoring God who was in command. And don't you think that Gideon would have loved to leave right then? You know, to count himself as one of those he was afraid, so he didn't have to face the battle and risk of death. You can you imagine how Gideon must have felt sending out this new order to his 32,000 soldiers? In a way, what kind of leader is this who willingly tells his soldiers to leave just before the battle? I know many of us don't face potential death by stepping out to obey God, but I want to ask you the question, you know, how often do we not do things out of fear? How often has fear held you back from obeying something God has already asked you to do? I just want to ask you that again. You know, how often has fear held you back from obeying something God has asked you to do? You know, at this point in Gideon's story, logic would tell you that God should send them more warriors, more warriors to help even up the numbers for battle. Maybe weapons or some type of like tactical advantage to help even out the odds. But then God says something remarkable. He says there are still too many. Overnight, 22,000 of Gideon's soldiers left. And this must have been a severe blow to Gideon. You know, as a leader of 32,000 men, he would have began to think it was possible but with only like 10,000 men, it was nearly impossible. But then God spoke again. He says, there's still too many. And you know, this new command went against all human reasoning and logic. 
And that is exactly the way God wanted it. In obedience to God's leading, leading, Gideon took the army to the river to drink. Only those who lapped up the water with their tongues, drinking like a dog drinks, were allowed to stay, while everyone else was sent home. And when the dust had settled, Gideon was left with only 300 men. So he had 300 men against this massive army. Imagine Gideon's fear then when God said, Go down against the Midianite camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. It's one thing to hear what God wants us to do, but to actually do it can feel like a whole new battle and a whole new challenge. You know, once again, God coaxed Gideon on. He instructed Gideon to spy in the camp, and here Gideon heard that the Midianite soldiers were also afraid. One spoke about a dream where a Midianite tent was knocked down by a loaf of barley bread. And he said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. The Midianite soldier cried, into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. You hear in this renewed Gideon's faith. With his 300 men armed with nothing more than trumpets and torches, torches, Hidden inside clay pitchers, the Israelites crept to the outskirts of the Midian camp. On the signal, the Israelites broke the pitchers, revealing the torches, and blew their trumpets, yelling, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Surprised and thinking they were being ambushed by a large army, the Midianites panicked, fighting against one another before eventually fleeing into the night. Their mighty strength had been overcome by a mere 300 men, led by Gideon, a man of God. So yeah, I want to suggest from this story, you know, logic isn't always our friend. God's ways are not our ways. You are surrounded here by a culture where it's normal to talk, I suppose, about hearing God speak, whether that's through reading the Bible, you know, prophetic words or personal encounters we have in our own quiet time. But here's the reality in all of this. Like Gideon, the outworking of these promises isn't always logical. It can feel often like God has spoken a promise about your future and left you no instructions on how to get there. I know personally speaking, um, Christine and I have some promises God has spoken over our lives um, from years back. And if I'm being perfectly honest and vulnerable here, I don't actually feel much closer to see in the fulfillment of those things, and that's like quite a number of years on. And someone shared a word with me a while ago, I think it was possibly actually Joy, which was a really good reminder, you know, about how, it was one personally for me, about how God was building the foundations for something, and that I couldn't see the finished product, and what it was going to be. But see the beautiful thing in that word, you know, he's always doing something, and making progress, even though we can't always see it. And here's the truth in this, you know, so often we judge things as being failures or successes based on the outcome. And if the outcome isn't what we perceive to be success, we bank it in our minds as failure or disappointment. And I'm currently finishing off at the moment, actually I'm working on a house I'm building for a cousin of mine. And he put down some of those like herringbone style tiles. If anyone picks them, I never want to be involved in it. <laughs> They're, um, they're a bit of a nightmare to work with. But I've seen even in that picture, you know, when you look out across that floor and you see it done, all the joints in that look chaotic and there appears to be completely all over the place, you know, completely, you know, seemingly going in random directions. 
You know, how often, if we're being honest, does our walk with Jesus feel like that? But here's the thing, in those tiles, from a distance it seems chaotic and all over the place. But when you look close, there is order and there is a pattern. And often I think that's how we feel about walking with Jesus. You know, at the time, at first glance, it can seem chaotic. But when we stop and look back, we can see his hand in all of it. And God's clear in this in Romans 8, 28. And again, I keep saying these are my favorite verses, too many of them, but he says, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. You know, in this verse tells us all things work together for good, and that means all things. And unfortunately, all things means the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think a lot of the times, if we're being honest, we want the good things to work together for good and to leave all that other learning bit out. You know, and there's these promises that God has spoken over our lives, but a bit like Gideon's, God's plan to get us there probably looks very different to ours. And I guess for me, you know, I have quite, uh, not quite, I do have a logical, like mathematical type brain. I'm by nature very much a problem solver. You know, I like a good, I love a good project. You know, someone comes to me with a plan or what they want built or created. And I tend to thrive, you know, in making logical steps or a step-by-step -step plan on how to get there like fairly quickly. And it's normally pretty efficient. And if I'm being honest, at times I prefer, if this is how God worked, that when he spoke plans and dreams for a future, he'd give us a nice clear-cut plan on how to get there. But you know, so often this isn't the case. And I'm sure we can all look back on our lives and the twists and turns that there's been along the way. So I want to just shift things a little. We looked at Gideon for quite a while there. And look really more at a practical level. You know, how do we not just survive but thrive in the midst of waiting and uncertainty? And if you are waiting, I always think of the story of Joseph. And you can read up on that when you do in your own time. You know, the promises that were spoken over his life at a young age and everything he had to go through in that in-between stage. And you can imagine how he felt in those in-between times. And in that beautiful time in his life where he's seen the goodness of God and the fulfillment of all those promises. So yeah, there's three things I want to look at, and they're only going to be brief, like because we've been um, waffling on a bit about Gideon. But you know, there's three things we've already seen in the story of Gideon that I just want to pull out from it. And it's kind of like, I nearly see it as like a wee like, step-by-step plan in terms of like hearing God's voice and different things. So the first thing is like learn to know his voice. And we've seen this in Gideon um, as he received that promise from the angel. And the second thing I want to look at is surrender and obedience. You know, God... Um, obeyed um, despite, or sorry, God, Gideon obeyed um, despite the odds and how things looked. And the third thing is trusting in the goodness of God. And I'm very aware we could talk about each of these in their own for, for hours, but um, I want to just quickly pull out some points from them. And the first one I said is learn to know his voice. And I say Gideon had a clear promise from God. You know, and often our plans for how things work out with God is often very different from his. You know, like Gideon, we need to learn to know God's voice in our day-to-day -day lives and get to know what he is speaking over our day-to-day -day things as well as the big things in life. In chapter 6 of Judges, um, Gideon had an encounter with an angel who declared, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And Gideon seems unimpressed and began to really interrogate the angel, which I think I've had like an angelic visitation. I don't know if that would be my first reaction. 
But the interaction really concludes with the angel commission Gideon to defeat Midian and free God's people. You know, we need to be people who learn to listen to God um, speaking in our lives. And I know we're all in different places uh, with this idea of God speaking. And for us all at times, it can be a struggle to get clarity on what God is saying in certain seasons. And sometimes God does show up with a step-by-step plan and sometimes he doesn't. But we need to be people who choose, who choose to step out in faith and obey his voice. There's those um, times so often when God just shows us that like next small step. And those times when we take that step, then he shows us the next step. And so much of our walk um, is a day-to-day uh, walk at times with him. I really feel these times we need to learn to trust God and his word he has spoken and just take that next step that's in front of us, even if it doesn't seem to make sense. And maybe um, we can't see the end picture of where he's leading us. And really over it all, when it comes to hearing his voice, there's no set formula. We all hear and experience God in different ways, and that's totally fine. You know, as we go from day to day, we may feel like we come up against walls and unmovable problems. And for me, to be honest, (laughs) it's often the silly small things that like trip me up. And I said before, it frightens me sometimes how I can go from having a really good day um, to one email or a phone call throwing off the rest of my day. It can happen so easy. And we have these moments where we become tempted, you know, to feel afraid that we don't stand a chance to win this battle, whether it's big or small. But, you know, here's the lovely thing. You know, he knows who we are and he's chosen us before the beginning of time to emerge as victors. When we put God in charge of leading our decisions, we will become conquerors, just as we read in the story of Gideon. Sometimes they find in the church culture we're part of, sometimes the second part of the process is the hardest, especially in a prophetic culture like we have here in Journey, where we've received prophetic words through someone else or sense God speaking through his written word or person to us. I often fall into that trap, if I'm honest, of filling in the blanks or running on in front of God. I kind of like apply that, I apply that logic, oh, well, if God spoke about it, it must be going to happen very soon, probably I would like to ideally like it happen in a matter of weeks and at most months. But you know, often God's ways are so different to ours. And I know I often get so impatient in the waiting. As I said before, I know Christy and I both have prophetic promises that God has spoken over our lives some years back. And as I said, you know, sometimes I feel like um, we're no real closer at times to seeing them fulfilled and what I did when those few years back. And I know that probably is the experience of some other people here in the room. But you know, if you are in a period of waiting, you're in good company. You just need to look at people in the Bible like Joseph, who had powerful promises spoken over his life. But really, even Joseph's case, it took decades to see those fulfilled. I just want to emphasize, re-emphasize what I said above. You know, how we hear God, you interact with God, um, our relationship with him are all uniquely different. I think a lot of the time we have around hearing from God comes when we compare ourselves to people around us. When we're a church or a home group and God is encountering people in certain ways, but we don't experience anything. In a way, that's okay. You know, there isn't anything wrong with you. You, in a way, how God encounters people is totally up to, well, you guessed it, God. Now that said, 
I don't think we should ever use that as an excuse to be, be passive about encountering him in some way. Um, but yeah, my point is really in that, find a way you can connect with God um, in your day-to-day life and begin to, begin, to, begin to build a history with him of the things he is speaking to you um, over your life. And the second thing I want to briefly look at that was seen in Gideon was about surrender. And I put surrender and obedience both in there. Um, I kind of feel like surrender and obedience. Um, to me, these two things are kind of like two sides of the same coin and go very much together. And so it's a theme we've seen from the story of Gideon. Um, and just as we look at surrender, you know, if you are... I kind of put this in, I kind of felt caught on this, but I say, you know, if, if you are in a period of waiting or what feels like waiting, I think sometimes in the waiting we become fascinated by the promises God has spoken over our lives. And I think at times we also need to be careful with that too. We can develop a bit of a, you know, when God fulfills that promise, then my life will be complete. But we need to learn to thrive in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in whether that be good or bad. You know, in the last few years, I've been learning more and more that God um, is often less interested in the destination, but more interested in what he's teaching you along the way. Paul says in Philippians 4, 4.11, he says, I am not saying this because I am need, for I have learned to be content, <clears throat> whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And in that famous bit at the end, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And you, in a way, it's often easy to obey God when there's a sure outcome, and the steps to that outcome seem clear. You know, the challenge with obedience and the lifestyle I want to encourage it's a lifestyle of obedience. It's when we face things we can't control and the route to see the promise fulfilled is not clear. You know, God is sovereign in all things and we get to partner with him no matter what he is doing. When it comes to surrender and obedience, what we need most is the willingness to do, <coughs> to do what God says next. Even if it's not logical or kind of, <laughs> not logical, or kind of even suggest at times it doesn't even seem reasonable. And here's another thing about obedience. And I want to just apply this um, or think about this even in relationship, relation to like where we're going as a church and this next um, season we're going, coming into. You, obedi- obedience never just affects us. You know, I believe there's a generational shift when we give our yes to God. When we give God our yes, no matter what, there's an effect, I believe, in whole atmospheres and communities around us. It's like when you drop that small stone into still waters, the ripples go out and out and out. I want to just throw this in. You know, do you believe this for our new building and for, he- for us here as we give God our yes in this next, se- <clears throat> this next season? You know, that if we give God our yes to this, that it will influence generations to come. And let's be those people who live with a passion to give God our yes, no matter what the cost. 
So finally, the third thing I want to talk about is the goodness of God. And you know, he is always good. I heard a sermon recently, and the guy speaking said, this is another one I put in the notes on my phone, um, God is not a vending machine where you put prayers in and you pull a lever and the outcome we want pops out. <laughs> but here's the thing with God. It might not be the outcome we want, but we always get his goodness and what he is about, not what we necessarily wanted. And I think that's so rich and so good. You know, sometimes we fall into a trap of, I will lay it all down for God because it gets me a certain outcome. The reality is Jesus is a reward. He is always worth it and he's infinitely good. We live with the confidence because we know and have seen the goodness of God. And I think testimony plays such a big part in this. When we look back and see God's favor and provision in the past, how can we not trust him with the future? And that's for us personally and as a church. God rewards those who seeks him, who seek him. He gives themselves completely to him. But even in that, you know, he doesn't work for us. We work for him and he shows up in his timing. We've seen his goodness in the past, so how can we not trust him for the future? I know I am, and I know lots of us are very outcome-orientated. You know, if the outcome is what we perceive to be good, we treat it as a victory. But God's so clear in this, he works all things together for good. But yeah, I just wanted in wrapping up, um, just pull some of these thoughts together and maybe try and apply it um, to our personal lives and to us as a church. So say, as well as personalized, this idea of logic is quite relevant for where we are as a church at the moment. And you with John here last week sharing a little of the vision for the new building. And in a sense, logic would tell us, <laughs> oh, we're only really 50, 60 people. We don't need a building that size and all the other questions that come to mind. And you know, many of these are genuine concerns. But here's the thing, God's thinking is so other and so far outside the confines of our human thinking and logic. Gideon defeated that army of 135,000 people with a small group of 300 men because God was on their side. And here's truth, God fulfills the promises he has made. You know, at this stage, it'd be great if God sent us in a way here to journey more people so the building's a bit fuller. He gave us all the money we needed to buy the building and renovate it. And I'm in a way expecting that he will do that. But sometimes we need to trust God and the word he's spoken and just step out in faith and rest assured that he will show up and make the way possible and fulfill the promises he has spoken. And let's remind ourselves of the words God has spoken over this church over this new building and look beyond the constraints of our human logic. And let me reassure you this morning, we serve a big God and he already has this mapped out for us. The victory is already his. You know, let's surrender to his plans and set aside our own doubt and fears in this season, both personally and as a church. In the second part of, um, <clears throat> I think it's verse two of chapter seven, we read at the start, God says, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. This explains why the army of 32,000 was too large. Israel could still take credit for a victory if they had 32,000 troops. 
They could believe they were underdogs who triumphed through their own great bravery or strategy. God wanted the odds so bad that the victory would clearly be his alone. How about we begin to apply this principle to the dreams and desires we have for our own lives and as a church on the move together? And when I say on the move, I mean spiritually in the moment, literally. What if we really believe the principle in Zechariah 4, 6? It says, not by might nor my or not, not by might, nor by power, but by, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Then our smallness does not matter. If we really believe the principle in Psalm 27, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God, then smallness does not matter. Maybe this is the time we surrender and give God our yes to this next season in church and in our personal lives and say, God, whatever it is, whatever you've spoken, that's what we're doing and that's where we're going. And you have talked a bit there about the promises of God over this church. But in a way, this church is a reflection of what God is doing in us, his people. How about in this season, we be people who surrender ourselves to the promises of God that he's speaking over our lives. And I'm so aware how easy it is in our day-to-day lives to get sucked into the rut of comfort. There's nearly an onset pressure from the world to do what is seen as the normal thing to do. You know, have a, have a good job, a nice family, a so-called comfortable life. And in a way, there's absolutely nothing wrong with those things. But let's not let those things get in the way of the promises, the dreams, the visions God has given us. Let this, be, let this be a season where we go beyond that and go after everything God has promised. So yeah, maybe get the guys back up if they're coming up for worship, if they're ready, maybe. And there may be some of the guys. So maybe this morning you're thinking, do you know what? I have no idea what God is saying to me in this season. I'd encourage you to come up, really. There's a ministry team here at the end. I'd encourage you to come up and um, ask those guys to pray for you and pray over you and um, yeah and just really those guys would love to pray with you and help you ignite really a passion in you to see God move in you and in those around you and out into this next season um, of your life so thank you